Well, Happy New Year. Some of you have uh, been gone away for uh, the Christmas holidays and you're back. Good to have you back. Some of you have kind of been stuck on the couch for the last couple of weeks. Um, all the games going on. I mean, isn't the couch just very addictive? You know, I mean, especially this time of year, you know, you got Christmas, you got the holidays, and you got all the, all the bowl games. If you like football, I mean, just phenomenal bowl games. And then you got the NFL, right? Wasn't they great games yesterday, man? I mean, just back and forth they went. Some of you spent six hours on that couch yesterday, maybe seven watching those games. Let's be honest, you guys are looking guilty, you know. I mean, this, this couch can be so addicting. And then when football's over, then you've got basketball, you know. And he's not doing well right now, but Dwayne Wade, and they'll, they'll turn it around, you know. And, and then you got baseball, a little boring, you know, sorry, you know, but, you know, something exciting is NASCAR, right? I mean, then you got NASCAR, and, and you're just on the couch all the time watching those cars go round and round in circles. I love it, you know, and then, you know, you got Bachelor, right? I mean, for Chris and Kim, you know, you got Bachelor or Bachelorette, you know, and, and then American Idol for John and Toy, and, and before you know it, man, you're just addicted to this couch or to that lazy board, or to that chair you got. And so we're starting this new year off by making a New Year's resolution to get off the couch, to get off the couch. And we began by talking about how we need to begin to get off the couch and begin to grow spiritually. And the key word there was daily, to develop the spiritual discipline, to daily read the Word of God. And then last week we talked about, you know, getting off the couch and to begin to eat less and what? Move more. You know, we need to eat less and we need to move more. We need to learn to glorify God with our body, that our bodies doesn't exist for our own self-gratification, but for the glorification of God. And so we need to eat less and move more. How many did a good job this past week eating less and moving more? All right, that's great. Many of you, that's awesome. And I was doing great this week. I mean, I really was. I was so excited and, you know, I was cutting out a lot of sugar and eating, you know, drinking more of my V8 juice and I was exercised by, by Thursday morning. I already exercised like three times in that week and was on my track to hit five or six and just doing so good. But came Thursday morning, I just had this sugar crave. I never had it before, and I, and I came in here, and I walked down to Oceana, and Oceana really prides itself on having, you know, quality, better food for you, as well as their drinks, and, you know, the drink you see me drinking only has 220 calories, by the way, and across the street, it was 600, so I've really cut way back, so uh, anyways, but I looked in the corner, and they had this little round sticky bun thing with all these nuts on it, and I said, oh, I just gotta have that. And I, I don't eat breakfast, right, honey? I don't, you know, I don't eat breakfast out like that. So, but I just had to have it. And I remember the, 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 the gal behind the counter, she got it, and she just kind of shook her head. <laughs> she heard my message last Sunday. She just said, Dr. Ray. And it's kind of like she's saying, you big sinner. And I just said, yes, <laughs> you know. And so now today we're talking about accountability. Ah, and relationships and how we need to be relationally fed and we need people to hold us accountable if we're really going to keep our New Year's resolutions because nothing gets healthier by, what's the word? Accident. Say it with me. Nothing gets healthier by accident. You never accidentally kind of just stumble your way into spiritual health. You never accidentally stumble your way into, into eating, eating better, into healthier living. 
And you never just accidentally stumble your way into relational health either. Nothing gets healthier by accident. Uh, Playboy magazine, they polled their American men readers in their magazine, and they asked them what was their number one New Year's resolution. Number one New Year's resolution. Now, right about now, some of you are thinking, how does Dr. Ray know this? What is Dr. Ray doing reading Playboy magazine? Well, I wasn't looking at the pictures. I was doing research, doing research for this message today uh, to prepare for this message. You know, Chris was the one that told me about this quote. Um, and Chris said he found out from John, you, you know, you got to watch those worship leaders. They're like rock stars, you know. So uh, uh, John told Chris, Chris told me, but the truth be told, I read about it in a Christian book on healthy relationships, all right? So let's be very clear, all right? That's, that's where it came from. Uh, but here's this guy reading Playboy magazine, and they ask him, what is your number one New Year's resolution? What do you think it would be? I'm thinking like Miss January. What do you think these guys would say that their number one New Year's resolution, number one on the list was this, spending more time with family and friends. I thought I was reading a survey from, you know, good housekeeping or something. Spending more time with family and friends. And I'm thinking if you'll get off the couch and quit reading Playboy, maybe you can spend more time with family and friends. See, the point is this. We all want better relationships, especially the men that are reading Playboy magazine, which was quite surprising to me. But it's not surprising in the fact that relationships is what life is all about. Life is all about relationships. I mean, it's our relationship with God. It's our relationship with each other. It's our relationship with our spouse, our boyfriend, our girlfriend, our children, our co-workers, our neighbors, the boss. And let's be transparent. It's growing, thriving relationships that makes life so sweet and enjoyable. And even when you're going through hard times, if you have growing, thriving relationships, it's not that bad. But when you don't have those relationships, life can become pretty meaningless and dull. According to a report by a group of sociologists, they claim that the average American man doesn't have one single close male friend in his life. Now, they describe what a friend is. A friend is doing an activity with someone. So they said the average American man, the average, which is more than 50%, do not have one single friend outside of a family member, you know, or, or a relative or a spouse uh, to do an activity with. So, guys, what do we do? What do we do? We, we sit on the couch, right? We hang out by ourselves. Or we sit out in our favorite chair. And we spend a lot of time on that couch. And we spend a lot of time on that couch dreaming as we're watching those games, dreaming of being a part of a team, dreaming of experience more joy, dreaming of living a life for something bigger than ourselves. You know, we live in our, our nice little communities, and I love my community, but we don't experience community. I find it very interesting that the more you put people together in our cosmopolitan cities and, and areas, sociologists are finding as you put more and more people together, it's not like they build more and more relationships. It's not like they have more and more friendships. Matter of fact, what they're finding, it's just the opposite. I mean, think about it. Weren't people friendlier like 10 years ago when there weren't so many people that lived here? Or 20 years ago? Or maybe those of you who've lived 30 years, 30 years ago, you know? I mean, I grew up at 708 Pelican Way in North Palm Beach. 
And we just, we knew everybody's name on our street. I mean, we had the Smiths and then the uh, uh, Laceras and then the Graves and then the DeCesars and the Muellers and the Switowskis and the Coopers and then the Lees and the Gibsons and the Adams and the Turnbulls. I mean, you know, and we had an incredible street. We had our football field on the street. We took paint and painted on the actual street, you know, 50-yard line, touchdowns, end zones. I mean, it was exciting. It was fun. We knew each other. We had fun together. There was a sense of community in place. And now today, if I'm honest, I don't even know the complete names of the people living right next door to me. That guy and that gal, you know them and, you know. And they say often part of the reason why is, you know, times have changed. I mean, if you needed something 10, 20, 30 years ago, what would you do? You'd go to your neighbor to do what? Borrow it. When was the last time a neighbor came to you and borrowed something from you? You know, when was the last time that you borrowed something from your neighbor? We just don't do that anymore, do we? We're kind of afraid. You know, I, I loan him my ladder. My ladder breaks. He breaks his neck. I get sued. You know, I lose my house. You know, so, so we don't borrow anymore. We don't share anymore. And have you noticed over the years, over the last couple of decades, how we're building larger and larger barriers to separate ourselves from our neighbors? I mean, when I grew up at 708 Pelican Way, you know, we had like a little chain link fence. You know, that's it. And then it was a slatted wooden fences. And then we had solid wooden fences. And then it's six-foot concrete walls, many of us have, right? You know? And then it moved to zero lot line homes. And then came Abacoa. Don't you love Abacoa? I, I personally, I love Abacoa. And, and the whole concept of new urbanism to try to get people through architecture to connect. And so they put porches back on the fronts of houses again so people would sit out there. Have you driven through Abacoa and seen anybody sitting out there? Anyways, you know, they put porches on there. They took the garage and they disconnected it from the house. So in order to go to your car, you'd walk outside and you would hopefully see your neighbor over there in their pool. And you'd wave to them as you got in your car. You know, that's new urbanism, and I, I love the concept, love the idea, and I love the, the concept that maybe architecture can help people to connect, and I'm all about, I'm a pastor, I'm all about people connecting and, and doing life and, and enjoying life and building relationships, and this is the honest truth, honest, about, about a month ago, three weeks ago, someone was, I was talking to someone in the lobby, and, and they said they just recently moved, and I said, well, where'd you move from? He said, I, I moved from Abaco. I said, why? Well, I said, that's the most unfriendly people I've ever lived, you know, and I said, really? And they said, Yeah. Those people are unfriendly. And I'm thinking, wow, man, this, all this architecture is not working either, you know? It's like we want to know our neighbors, but we're stuck. We want relationships, but we're stuck. We're stuck on our couch watching our 70-inch TV. Don't you love those big TVs? I mean, you feel like you're a part of it again, right? You know, you're all by yourself and you got your 70-incher there and you just feel like you're a part of something, but you're not. And so we end up playing golf alone. Some of us even figured out how to, how to play tennis alone, you know, and, and we work out alone and, and we kind of become the, the Lone Ranger of the 50s. Remember that guy? You know, or the Marlboro Man of the 60s. He's a little tougher than the Lone Ranger was. But I find when you get with the Lone Ranger and the Barbaro Man and, and they're real honest and vulnerable like they are sometimes with a pastor, they're just like the guy reading Playboy magazine. They really long for sincere, genuine friendships, relationships. You see, God 
because God is a God of community. God is a God of relation. God has created all with us, all within us, this need for community, this need to connect, this need to do life with other human beings. And in order for that to happen, we got to get off of what? Got to get off the couch. If we get off the couch, our loneliness will be minimized. Uh, Dr. James Lynch, in his book called The Broken Heart, he shows that lonely people live significantly shorter lives than the general population. You see, the reality is that no matter how independent you are, every one of us needs friends. We all need friends. And we see this concept, this biblical concept, way back in the creation in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. I mean, God creates this world, this universe separates day and night and all the animals, and there is God and there is Adam, and God is intimately involved in Adam's life. And Adam had his pets. I mean, like Lassie was there, you know, and Garfield, Chris loves cats, you know, Garfield was there. And, um, and then my favorite pet of all time, I've always dreamed of wanting Flipper, you know. And so Flipper's there, and Garfield's there, and, and, and uh, Lassie's there. And then God says this in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. It's, is, what's the word? Not. It's not good. God says, it's not good that the man should be alone. I'll make him a helper fit for him. So God created a lasting friend, Eve, not Steve, by the way, and, and I'm not being disrespectful there. I'm being theological, okay? Um, Eve, and I hope your wife is your best friend, that you share your life with her and she shares her life with you. See, God didn't create man. God didn't create woman to be alone. It's not good for us to be alone. And I think Eve quickly became Adam's wife. I mean, don't you? I mean, I don't think they dated around. I mean, you, th- you think they dated around? I, I don't think so. I-, I bet Adam proposed the first time he laid eyes on Eve. Matter of fact, the Bible says they were naked and they felt no shame. I think they got married real quick. Now, this is the point. You and I need lasting relationships. And lasting relationships are never accidental. You're just not going to bump into one like you see on Hollywood, and you're just going to fall in love, and just like the people in Hollywood, they live happily ever after, right? Never. Never. Because nothing gets healthier by how? Accident. Nothing gets healthier by accident. We have to intentionally get off the couch and cultivate and nurture and develop lasting friendships. And the best way to do that is to be a lasting friend. You see, we're not living up to God's ideal. We're not living up to God's design if we're trying to live independent, self-sufficient, autonomous lives. God made us. He made us to share all that we have with someone else. We are social beings made by God to need each other, to love each other, to help each other. And even to this day, one of the cruelest forms of punishment is what? Solitary confinement. That's right. Prisoners who have suffered solitary confinement, they say they would rather take a weekly beating or do hard labor, anything but 
solitary confinement. Because loneliness is not a condition that human beings were created to handle very well. We were created by our Creator who lives in community. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We are created in His image to need each other, to live in community. So we got to get off the couch and intentionally choose to be a friend. And our loneliness will be minimized. Not only will our loneliness be minimized, our joys will be multiplied. Relationships bring about great joy in our life. Now let's be honest, they also bring about great what? pain. But with great pain comes even greater joy. Significant friends, by their mere presence, they bring joy to our heart. You know, this uh, past Wednesday morning, Chris came walking into the office. He's been gone on vacation for a week, and I was gone the week before that. And man, it just brought joy to my heart. It was just great to see him. Great to see him. There's that special feeling we get from our friends that makes us want to be around them. Our joy is is multiplied. And Jesus made this point very clearly in, in Luke chapter 15. In Luke chapter 15, he tells a story, three stories. The first story is about a shepherd who lost one of his sheep, and then the shepherd searched hard, he found his sheep, and he, the shepherd, said this. He, he laid the sheep on his shoulders, rejoicing. He's excited because what? He found the sheep. And when he comes home, he calls together who? His friends. And his neighbors saying to them, rejoice, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. And then Jesus tells another story in verse 9. He says there was a, a poor widow woman who lost one of her ten silver coins. And she was poor. It meant a lot to her. So she's searching. I mean, she's moving furniture. She's looking and working hard to find this silver coin. And she finally finds this silver coin. And then she calls together her who? Her friends and her neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I found a coin that was lost. And then Jesus tells the story of a father who lost one of his two sons. One of his sons became rebellious and wayward. He didn't want to live by his father's values. He ran off and squandered and destroyed his life and his assets. And he comes to his senses and he's coming back home. And the father says to his servant in verse 22, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to do what? Celebrate. The shepherd, the widow, the father, all wanted their friends to share in their joy. That's what friendship does. It gives us people to share in our joy. And Jesus told those stories or those three stories to help us understand about the joy that goes on in heaven when we come to our senses and when we put our faith and trust in him. There's a party in heaven. They're celebrating in heaven. There is multiple joy in heaven because we now are part of God's forever family. You know, I can so vividly remember one of the most exciting days of my life. It was June the 6th, 1982. It was the birth of my first child, my, my first son, Raymond III. Now, I don't know why I, I wanted a boy so bad, 
uh, you know, maybe because I was the oldest of three, you know, and, and I really want to name my son after me, after my father. I was named after my father, and, and I want to name my son after my father and after myself. And, and I was hoping and praying, and we kind of were old school. We were doing Lamaze, you know. You guys know what that is? And, um, and we, were, we, were, we didn't want to know, you know, what the baby was going to be, so we'd be surprised. We'd have all that exciting anticipation in there, you know, during the, the labor part. And so my wife, Saturday night, kind of begins starting like labor, I guess. And, um, and we kind of talk and help her. And then we, I, my memory was, and we talked about this, which we don't remember quite well how it all happened. But uh, that's not a good sign. But uh, I, I, my memory was we, I got her to the hospital on Sunday morning, and she was fine. And so then I left her there, went and preached a sermon. I don't know if that's good or not. But she was doing good, and they said she had a long way to go. So I went and preached, and I came back, and she's still there. And then friends came by the hospital, and, and she was in labor, serious labor, about 10 hours. And, and uh, man, she was, she was cool. I mean, she was tough, you know, no morphine, nothing, you know. And, it, uh, you know, I, I talk like I was in labor because, you know, to me, I was so excited about it. I felt like I was in labor, and she was just like along for the ride, but it really was the other way around. Anyways, <laughs> after about 10 hours of hard labor, you know, and we were looking at the birth rate, and I'm thinking, man, I think it's a boy. And after 10 hours, little Raymond, you know, makes his entrance into this world. Beautiful, healthy, baby boy. And Jan's crying, I'm crying, and we're so excited, you know, we clean him up. And I was so excited, you know, and get her all situated. And then I get to go out to the waiting room. And I went out to the waiting room to tell them I had a boy. And no one was there. I had no family in Memphis. My buddy Tommy and other people, they, they, they you know, had kids. They already left. You know, I told them that it might be Monday before this thing happens, you know. Um, and I remember it was like the highest of high and then the lowest of low because there was nobody there to share my joy with. Friends, multiply our joy. That's why we have birthday parties and anniversary parties and graduation parties. That's why these parties are important. And we need to get off the couch and party hardy with our family and with our friends because friends... They multiply our joy. Number two or number three, our sorrows are divided. Not only will our, our joys be multiplied, but our sorrow will be divided. Ecclesiastes 4.9 says this, two are better than what? One. Because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone. And when he falls, he has no one to uh, lift him up. You know, one of the worst things that can happen in my life or in your life is to fall, is to have a suffer loss, have a, a tragedy or an accident, and have no one to be there alone. You know, I can remember my own life um, when my wife became very, very ill. Uh, we had three small little children, and she was diagnosed with toxic shock. And she was very ill, and we had her in the emergency room at the hospital. And for the first time in my adult life, if not the first time in my life, I broke down and I cried. And I cried like a baby because I had those thoughts of losing someone that I loved and valued, and my kids, losing a mom. And my good friend, Dr. Tommy, was there. He was there literally to hold me up. 
You know, I've been there many times for others in the midst of great loss, never really knowing what it was like to have a friend hold me during a very dark day in my life. Tommy was there. Matter of fact, when my daughter Janelle was in a very tragic accident, uh, he found out before I did, when I got to the hospital, he was there and been there with Janelle, you know, sitting where I needed to be sitting, you know, being a friend and a father to her because I wasn't there until I got there. Wow, he divided my sorrows. And Tommy didn't divide my sorrows because of something he said or something he did. And, you know, he's a smart guy. You know, he has great little statements. It was just his presence. He divided my sorrows. Matter of fact, the North American Indians, the word for friend etymologically says this, one who carries my sorrow on his back. Write that down. One who carries my sorrow on his back. That's a friend. And that's the kind of friend Tommy was to me. He carried my sorrow on his back. And if I could just speak candidly, part of my job, and it's part of my job that I love, it's part of Chris's job and John's job, and part of the job we love is to be there for you and to offer hope during times of great need and loss in your life. And I'm always amazed. I'm always amazed that when I show up and I'm there, and when I'm there with a family or with an individual, with a guy or a gal, and they're one of the ones that have gotten off the couch, and they have built relationships, they've got involved in a growth group or got involved in ministry. When, you know, when I'm there, there's always somebody else there. And I'm needed, but I'm not really needed. Because they've got a circle of friends that are there. And then there's others of you that I show up and I'm there and nobody's there and nobody really is ever there but maybe a spouse because they haven't gotten off the couch. They haven't been intentional about building relationships, intentionally about building friendships. If we will get off the couch, if we will intentionally choose to be a friend, our loneliness will be minimized. Our joys will be multiplied. Our sorrows will be divided. And our steps will be steadied. Can you say that with me? Our steps will be steadied. Proverbs eleven fourteen says this. Where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in the abundance of, what's the word? Counselors. In the abundance of friends and counselors, there is safety. There is <clears throat> security. Have you ever wondered how many of the bumps and bruises and heartaches and sorrows could have been avoided in your life and in my life if we would have sought counsel, the advice of friends? I mean, if brothers would sit down more with brothers... And sisters would be transparent and sit down with sisters and help steady our steps. How much of the pain that we've brought upon ourselves wouldn't be there? I mean, doesn't it strike you funny that rulers and presidents and, and prime ministers, they surround themselves with counselors because they realize their decisions have great consequences. And usually presidents and prime ministers, they're brilliant men. They're, they're smart women to begin with. 
but they realize, they say, I need counsel. I need counsel. And then there's some of us that think, we don't need counsel. We don't need pastoral care. We don't need to be in a growth group. We can make our own decisions. I don't need help. I'm just fine. And we go it alone, and we stumble, and no one's there to pick us up. Proverbs 3, verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean what? Not. Underline the word not. Lean not. Don't just trust in yourself. Don't just lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Acknowledge God, and he will make your paths, because you're going on many paths in life, straight. And I think the way God often makes our paths straight is through the counsel of other brothers. It's through the counsel of other sisters. And I quite don't know why, you know, uh, sometimes we just, we don't want to listen. But God wants to speak through other people. You know, I found over the years that some people, and I, I think maybe it's just my preaching style or I might quite haven't figured it out yet. If you want to psychoanalyze me and send me an email, that'd be great. But, you know, somehow, some way, I project this, this demeanor of being very decisive and very dominant and very hard-headed and strong. Um, but the truth, we're told, I rarely even make minor decisions on my own. I'm always seeking counsel, seeking advice, asking other people for their opinion. I mean, I walk out of the service, first thing I'm asking is, okay, what, what, how, how can I do it better? What I do wrong? Give me feedback. Always wanting the opinions of others. Proverbs 27, 9 says, oil and perfume make the heart glad. I love this verse. And sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. One of the great things friends bring into our lives is their, their desire to help, their desire to love, their desire to listen. It's their earnest counsel. I just cherish wise counsel because not only do they help steady my steps, they bring out my potential. They help me develop my potential. You see, when we get off the couch, when we really make the choice to invest in relationships, our potential will be developed. Proverbs uh, 27, 17 puts it this way. Can we read this verse together, one voice? One, one voice. As iron sharpens iron. That means like everyone's voice. Okay, you ready? As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. As we get off the couch, as we invest in friends with our time, they sharpen us. They help us to develop our potential in life. Henry Ford said this, My best friend is the one who brings out the best in me. Don't you need more people in your life to bring out the best in you? That's what friendships do. That's what significant relationships do. They help you to live out your potential. Friends bring out our potential by, by motivating us, by believing in us, by expecting the best in us. Friends bring out our potential by holding us accountable. You see, a good friend is one who holds us accountable, inspires us to, to move forward and not to give up and not to quit and not to eat that pecan swirl. Those, those are good friends. 
You know, and one of the great qualities that we're lacking in today is a quality called stick to and perseverance. And we need people around us, you know, to help us to stick to it. I mean, we make these great New Year's resolutions, but we never keep them. And the reason why we don't keep them is because we're on the couch and we haven't invested in significant relationships and we haven't been honest and transparent with those relationships and invited people to hold us accountable. We need to commit ourselves to each other. We need to say, hey, hold me accountable to this. Man, I want to grow. I want to change. That's how you grow. That's how you change. That's how you bring about change that lasts. Growth always happens best in the context of relationships. And the truth is we all need close friends. We need close friends to help protect us from ourselves. It's called, you know, it's called denial. It's called self-rationalization. It's called self-deception. You see, if it's easier to deceive ourselves than it is to deceive a close friend. And in the, in the, in the emotion of the moment, self-deception can be very real. And we need those friends to help us see ourselves. Next week, we're starting a new series. I'm really pumped about it called Guardrails. And, and in so many ways, those friends are like guardrails. They, they protect us. They help us. They direct us. That's what good friends do. Friends bring out our potential. And friends bring out our potential by speaking the truth in our lives. Speaking the truth in our lives. Patrick Lencioni, in his great book called The Advantage, he, he points out that in the Christian church, we have confused, get this, this is so good to me, we have confused being nice with being kind. You might want to write that down. We have confused being nice with being kind. We think being nice means to be Christian-like, Christ-like. No, 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 no. We don't need more friends who sugarcoat everything. We don't need more friends that, you know, that, that don't level with us. We don't need to be nice. We need friends who are going to be kind. They're going to help us see reality as it is. They're going to help us to see ourselves. They're kind enough to tell us the truth. As painful as that might be, friends bring out our potential by speaking the truth into our lives. And this morning, I've tried very hard to try to be your friend. I want 2013 to be an incredible year in your life. And I'm trying right now the best I know how to try to speak truth into your life. And if you've noticed, I've tried real hard, you know, not to, not to manipulate you, to get you off the couch because, you know, the sky is falling and you're going to die this year and you're going to die all alone, you know. I'm, I'm trying not to do that. I have purposely tried not to appeal to your emotions by asking you to grab the person's hand next to you and singing Kumbaya, you know, or blessed be the tide that binds. I, I, I've tried, I've tried to appeal to your minds that you would make a calculated decision this morning, right now, to get involved in building some significant relationships in your life. See, I believe significant relationships are not merely insurance policies for the tragedies and the valleys of life, but I believe they are essential for your personal and your spiritual development. You see, 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ came, and he came with a revolutionized new message. It's called the gospel. 
He came calling people to, to take ownership of themselves, to see the truth, to see reality as it is, and to turn, to change. It's called repentance. He called people to turn from who they were and put their faith and trust in them. And then he calls them, after they make that decision, to become a part of the church, his church, to get off the couch, to get out of the grandstands, and to be a part of something big and grand and glorious, the church of Jesus Christ, which is the hope of the world. And in the church, in the church, we become a spiritual family that will minimize our loneliness and will multiply our joy and divide our sorrow and steady our steps and develop our potential. That's why the church exists, is to help us grow. It's to help us reach our potential. It's to help make 2013 the best year ever in our life. But that will not happen unless you choose to get off the couch. Because nothing gets healthier by accident. Intentionality and humility forge the way to relational fitness. So I challenge you this morning. Make 2013 a great year by prioritizing the important relationships. If you don't have them, begin to build them. Get in a group. Join a ministry team. Develop a circle of counsel and friends that you do life with. And you'll be so grateful. Can we bow our heads in prayer? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Can you just join me in saying, God, God, I want 2013 to be the best year ever. I got enough faith to believe you for that, God. I want 2013 to be the best year ever. God, I want to get off the couch. I want to grow. I want to purposely build some significant relationships in my life. Can you take that risk? Can you pray that prayer? Can you join me and say, God, I, I thank you for the church. I thank you for this church. God, I thank you for the people who make up this church. God, I make the choice today to be intentional in building significant relationships with others. Can you pray that this morning? God, can you say that this morning to yourself? God, I make the choice today to be intentional in building significant relationships with others. Some of you right now need to say, God, I make the choice this morning to get into a growth group, to take that risk, to be challenged, to build a, a Christian circle of friends to do life with. Some of you need to pray and say, God, help me to get out of my comfort zone. God, help me to get off the couch and onto the field, and into a group. Father, I thank you so much that you are a God of community and that you want us to experience the richness of life as we build significant relationships with each other. God, I, I pray this year that we will engage. I pray as a church that we will engage, that we will engage with you, that we will engage with each other, that we will make the decisive decision to move 
and to get off that couch and to build some significant relationships. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.